everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is episode two. Uh, my name is Delton. I am your host, and with me today is my lovely wife, Haley. I am lovely. Thank you very much. So today is November 15th. This is quite a while after our first episode. Our first one was recorded shortly after Gen Con. It really just came down to Haley being busy and myself being very busy. So this is a little delayed, but that's okay because we have some games to talk about that we're excited about. Very excited. Yep. And today, uh, just like the last episode, we were having some drinks while we recorded. So today we're having drinks as well. Uh, on my side, I have Sierra Nevada, their Ovila Abbey Saison. Uh, I really love their Abbey Quad, and we found out you can't find it pretty much anywhere. And Haley was kind enough to pick me up the Saison, which you also can rarely find, for a Christmas gift last year. So this is the caged and corked bottles. It's very good. I highly recommend it for sure. Haley, what do you have? I have a St. Arnold Summer Pills. I got this on a road trip with my friends to a music festival in Dallas. Was back in March? Yeah. I think so. So my friends and I drove down to Dallas and Oklahoma. We don't have a big beer selection since our liquor laws suck. So every time we go to Dallas or just really cross the Texas border, we make sure to have a little beer run. So we stopped at Kroger's. Yay, Kroger's. We got a St. Arnold Summer Pills. So let's try this out. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, in Oklahoma, sadly, we don't have good liquor laws at all. They are changing. I believe 2018, we finally get cold storage. Um, we have finally gotten... That was a twist off. That was a twist <laughs> We have finally gotten some beer companies, such as Dogfish Head, and we do have a very good local beer scene. Our laws around brewing are very good here. We can actually brew locally good, or I should say well, and uh, a lot of the laws that are changing, like some of them just allowed the breweries to actually serve in-house at their tap room. And so that's been a great, sorry for the dog in the background, that has been a great addition to the state. It's being able to go into your favorite brewery and just pick a beer up or grab a growler. It's been awesome. I would just like to point out that I poured that beer perfectly. It is golden and bubbly and had, when I poured it, about a half an inch head on it. So I think I did absolutely perfectly, and now we must try it out. Mine is dead. There's no head, but that's okay, because I'm fine with it. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. There is no head. Nope. I'm sorry for Boom, to episode two. Episode two. Does it still taste good? Yeah, of course it does. Does it have any carbonation at all? A little bit. Okay. I called about six or eight liquor stores trying to find that last year. Oh, the Abbey Quad? Mm -hmm. Yep, it's difficult. All right, well, to move on past the beer talk, to finally get into some games, like I said, it's been a while since Gen Con, and so we've had a lot of games to play. Uh, I don't want to talk about too many because we could go on for ages. So is there any you want to talk about in particular? I would really like to talk about number nine. That is one of my new favorites. Number nine has been awesome. So I picked it up, what, a week ago? Yes. There's a new game store open up here in my hometown. I live in Edmond, Oklahoma. It's called PB&J Games. I would just like to point out that in the last, what, year, we've had three new board game stores open up within a mile of our house. You go a mile west, there's PB&J Games. You go a mile east, there's Storm Brew. And you go, I guess it'd be two miles down the road. About two and a half. About two and a half miles down the road. Now we have Edmund Unplugged. So basically, we're not going to have a paycheck and soon we'll not be able to afford the house that is so close to these board game shops. I'm just saying. Or the electricity to record anymore. <laughs> uh, but that's good. Next episode brought to you via Carrier Pigeon. Yeah, right. 
Um, but yeah, so I picked up number nine. I sold some games at half price books, which of course lowball you horribly. But I wanted to spend that since I sold games, wanted to buy games. Um, so I just picked up number nine. I think the price point for it is a little high, being thirty dollars because there's only some tiles in it. However, the game is very fun, very simple. It's like a one page rule book. Doesn't take anything to learn. You essentially have the numbers zero through nine, and a deck of cards with each of those numbers twice. So if you flip a card off the top and it's a seven. Everyone grabs the very Tetris-like tile that's a seven, which I think it's the purple one, and you place that down in front of you. You can put it on your base level, which is what touches the table, or level one, which is the next level up, only if it does not hang off, like there has to be something under it constantly, and it has to overlap at least two other tiles. So you have to kind of build a base out, a foundation, and then build up to level one, level two, and level three, and however high you can go. And then the way the points score is depending on the level, one, two, or three, or four, their value of the tile is multiplied by that level number. So it's really actually very simple. It's very puzzly. Um, it is like a multiplayer solitaire. There's no interaction or anything. It's just fun to do. I mean, it takes 10 minutes to play, and it's just very simple. It's been a good game to fit in with like Sagrada and like patchwork and things for us. Honestly, we can fit most of the pieces, especially if we just did it two-player. We could fit a lot of the pieces just in a little... What is that called? A photo box? And this would be a perfect thing to take on a plane. You know, whenever you put down the little trays on your chairs whenever you're riding on a plane, I think this would fit perfectly on those. So I think that'd be a good travel game. Because right now the box is giant, like the box that it actually comes in. And it's great and it's a beautiful box, but it's really a lot of wasted space within the box. I think you can just take out a few pieces and be good to go. Yeah, the thing with the box is, so this game has no setup. Once you punch everything, every number has its own slot. And there are a total of, I think, eight of each number that we can hold with up to four players. All that's in the box is an insert with those numbers and then the cards. So when you set the game up, you open the lid, remove the rule book, pull out the cards, and you're set up. We really need to do an episode on purse games. Like, really good games that could fit in your purse or your back pocket or, like, your book bag. Because I think there's a lot of good games out there and a lot of good small games, but their boxes are so giant that it kind of turns people off because... I mean, it's a lot. The thing is, which, yes, we can do that as a topic in an uh, upcoming episode sometime. The thing is, they want presents on the shelves, and so large boxes get attention. You walk into a store, and you see large boxes. You're like, ooh, that's a cool-looking game. But a small box of, say, like, Star Realms, you know, something, a game we really like, is easily overlooked because it's so small. I mean, once you hit a point of an amount of games like we have, then... Yes, small boxes are liked, and like I keep condensing my games. I'm using photo storage boxes. I have cardboard boxes to keep multiple card games in. And so something like number nine that could easily fit in a box half the size is kind of sad that they waste so much space. Like another huge culprit for that. Oh, well, now I'm forgetting what game it is. We have too many on the shelves. You have too many games? No. I don't remember which game it was, but like, uh, I mean, there's a good example. Escape Curse of the Temple, the big box. I love it. It's a great game. It's very simple. Anybody can get into it. It's very fun. You know, it's fast-paced and all that. Live action takes 10 minutes. Super awesome. But the big box with all the expansions, I mean, yes, it comes with the expansions, but it spreads everything out so much in this giant coffin box, basically, that it just takes up too much room on the shelf for what's really in the box. But anyway, enough about wasted box space. So another game that I've been really enjoying recently has been Paperback. So Paperback, for those who don't know, is a deck-building word game. I bought this specifically for Haley because she dominates me at word games constantly. Destroys. 
just all the time. I cannot keep up. I wanted a word game that I could potentially win because I don't have the largest vocabulary, especially in games. I just start to overthink it and I bog myself down. And the neat thing is with patchwork, you have a hand of cards, sorry, not patchwork, paperback. You have a hand of cards to make a word to be able to buy more letters to make bigger words. And so it's kind of based on what you draw as well as how crafty you are with the cards you buy, the letters that you buy. So it's a really neat game. You buy letters, make bigger words to buy what they call fame cards that are worth points. It's a really awesome game, though. What do you what do you think about it? I think it's a lot of fun, and I love a good deck builder. Everybody starts out level playing field. You have the same number of cards. You have the same types of cards in your deck, and you can customize it from there. So if you want to go for a lot of the double letter cards that let you make bigger words, longer words, you can. If you want to go for the cards that are one use, like the easy vowels, you can. I mean, you can really make it as you want it. And really, there's no set one strategy to win. You can make a lot of smaller words and get points to buy paperback cards. Or you can make long words and get those victory points from the long word stash. Yeah, it's really neat because you can make, I mean, you can make words of all different kinds. You can go for the short word game, long word game. I mean, all in all, you're making words to get points. And so, you know, it's a pretty simple concept to understand, especially if you know deck builders. But it's a very good game, comes with a lot of extras in the box in terms of, like, uh, extra rules to add in, some variants. There's the cooperative variant, which we have not tried yet. There's the variant with uh, special powers, and there was the variant with, like, topics, where if you spell a word like robot, and if the topic of the game is sci-fi, then you can take that card, which is worth points at the end of the game. However, if somebody else does another word that fits in the sci-fi theme, they get to take that card for points. So it's really neat. Um, Tim Fowers, that's the designer's name, he did a really good job, and I really want to get the expansion, but I think the game is very good. I think it's best with two players, just because it tends to bog down with four, because people take a long time to make uh, words. Delton. I do tend to drag a little bit. I would just like to point out that Rondo is a word according to the Scrabble Dictionary. Spell it. R-O-N-D-O-F-O-O-L. That's not right. No, I get it. Call me a fool. Um, explain what that is, because I had no idea. So there are multiple definitions for it. I'm going to pull up the Scrabble dictionary definition. While we're waiting, hmm, what can I use to fill this time while she's unprepared? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Okay. She's looking it up. Um, I'm just going to ramble for a second that I really like Akrotiri. I picked it up recently. A little pickup and deliver game. You have little ships, and you lay a tile, which places a colored resource down, and you kind of build a archipelago, and move your ship around, grab goods, sell those goods. Then you build temples based on the tiles that are placed, and you kind of have to puzzle your way around and find ways to get your boats to new islands to place those temples for points. Uh, this is a really fast over things, uh, overview, so I'm really not giving it its justice, but it's a really neat little two-player game. It always plays longer than you expect, but it's very good. Go ahead. So, Rondo is a musical form with a recurring leading theme, often found in the final movement of a sonata or concerto. I argued up and down that Rondo was a word, and no one at the table, none of the other three people believed me. But it was like one of those slumdog millionaire moments, where I played a song in marching band back in high school, and the final word in the song was Rondo. That's how I remembered it. My very first hand of cards, I could play Rondo. And they wouldn't let me. They did not believe me it was a song. Here's the thing. 
You still lost, though, and that word would not have saved you. <laughs> it would have because I would have. It would have because I would have been able to buy one of the paperback cards my very first hand. Oh, one of the fame cards, ones for points. Yeah, fool. Yeah, but buying them that early, there comes some strategy for you listeners. Buying those that early also fills your deck with more wilds. And sorry for the cat in the background. Take a drink. Those at home, every time you hear a cat, you take a drink. Kind of our written rule doesn't happen very often, but when it does, he's always loud and right there at the door. Okay, so for the next game, we're kind of going through this a little quickly. Um, for the next game is I got a friend purchased me Troy's. Uh, sorry, it's spelled Troyes, T-R-O-Y-E-S, but it's actually pronounced Trois. I found that out. Named after a French city. This game is a, I don't know, mid to heavyweight euro. Probably midweight euro, depending on who you ask. It's a very good game. Uh, essentially what it is, is there's a city and there are some cards and you have dice. You roll your dice to get values on them. You place them in a, your little section in the center of the city, and then you flip these cards over that give you actions that you can take. And you can either pay to place a worker there to be able to get points at the end of the game, or you can just place a worker and take the action without covering the point spot. You have to use your dice, but you can also buy your opponent's dice as well as the neutral player's dice. So it's kind of a weird game to explain because there's a lot going on in it, and it's kind of hard to see a strategy sometimes. Um, we've only played it the one time, I attempted the solo rules, which I think are terrible, but we uh, tried. We played it once and really enjoyed the game. I really want to play it with more people. It's just we just played with us two, and so we'll just have to see how it goes next time. But it's a very, very good game. What do you think about it? I think it's a lot of fun as well. Isn't that one that we tied with until the very last second? I'm not sure. Pull it up on your board game geek. Do you have the score? I, I don't keep the scores. I haven't been keeping the scores for years now. It just takes too much time to go in and type in everyone's score. It, it doesn't unless it's a night when we play like three or four or five games. I just think you stopped taking score because I was kicking your butt too much. Well, I mean, that's true. You win a lot, but, you know. Well, anyway, I think it's a lot of fun. It is definitely a lot of management going on. There's multiple things you can do. There's a lot of choices. So depending on really what goal you're going for, what that secret goal is, really tailors what your movements are going to be. Now, here's the thing. We all have our secret goals that we have in our hand. But I might be able to qualify for Delton's goal. I don't know what Delton's goal is, whatever it is in his hand. However I play the game, it might actually qualify. It might actually beat Delton at his own goal without realizing it. Yeah, it has this neat thing where you hand out a secret goal to everybody. In a two-player game, there's two of them. And at the end, you calculate the score for that secret goal. However, everybody can score points for it. And so it makes it really nice because you kind of have to try and be sneaky with your strategy. But at the same time... You know, you don't want to be too sneaky and miss out on points like I did. And so it's it's just got some really cool strategy to it and the way you have to work around with the dice. And if you buy one die, I think it's two. If you, or no, if you're going to use one die, if you buy it, it's what, two coin. If you're going to use two die total, every dice you buy, if you buy one is four. And if you use three dice, which is the most you can use, every dice you're going to buy is like six. And so it's weird that it's not the number of dice you're buying. It's how large the group you're going to use is determines how much the dice is going to be. So it's kind of strange. By the way, while you were explaining that, the cat meowed again. Dad heard him. That was a good one. And again, he just meowed again. <laughs> He's got his little paws under the door. That's Steve, for all those listening. He is our turd cat, as I like to call him, because he's just a giant turd. He's my firstborn son. He's also like 12 pounds of fluff. I'd like to go back to, was it Trois for a second? Mm-hmm. The only complaint that I have on it is that if you're more experienced with the game, it'd be easier for you to pick out what the other person's secret goal is. Like whenever you first play the game, 
we're all just trying to figure out our own goals. And so if I see Delton collecting something, it really doesn't mean anything to me because I'm so focused on my own goal and I don't know what the other goals are. So your first round or two playing the game, you might only be acquainted with three or four different goals. But as you keep playing and play it multiple times to say you bring someone new into play, you might be familiar with all the goals and catch on really quickly what that person's goal is and maybe beat them at their own goal without them realizing it. So I think that's just an unfair advantage in it. That's my only complaint. Well, I wouldn't really call it an unfair advantage, but I mean, a lot of games have that. It's just knowledge of the game. You also have to think though, how many games do you play once or twice and you still don't quite understand and you want to play again? Because for me, Twa is that game. It's like, hey, I want to play this again so I can really figure it out because we haven't got to the point of figuring out the strategy. Now, I could see that being discouraging to a new player because when you come in as a new player to a game, you don't just want to be annihilated. However, it's just one of those things I think you have to put up with with a lot of games. I mean, that game is that way. What's some other like secret goal games that we have? Oh man, we've got too many. Uh... I mean, I understand the knowledge of the game really does help, helps you to build your strategy, but I feel like that is a component of the game that can turn mean really quickly. I wouldn't say it would turn mean, but I understand what you're saying. It, it could turn somebody off from the game. Yes. The good thing is when we play it again with Brian, which is our good friend Brian, we've only played it really the one time, so that's really not going to affect anything, which would be nice. I'm still going to win. We'll see. But no, Twa is very, very good. I really want the expansion, the Ladies of Twa. It gives you all, I think, a purple die, and it can't be purchased, so you always have a die that can do anything. Something like that. I really need to read more about it. It's just a little bit pricey uh, for just an expansion, but it still, you know, looks really awesome. I just want to point out something. I actually looked at my bottle cap, and on the inside it says, The end is beer. I agree. It says the end is beer? Oh, that's pretty good. This is also a rainbow-labeled beer, so I support it on multiple levels. Yes. As well, a fan of rainbows, with St. Arnold as a former Catholic, and as a mild alcoholic, I support this beer. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, I mean, we've talked about a couple games here and there. I mean, a little bit lightly, but that's all right. Um, but I think it's time to move on to the topic of the episode, which is how to introduce new people into gaming. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. What you do is you show them your most difficult and complicated game. And if they survive, then they're still your friends. If not, then you have a smaller game group. That could be a very... <laughs> That could be a very good way to do it, but also a horrible idea, which I think you know. How many friends do you actually need? That's true. We only have a couple. But anyway... Um, That's probably why, because we showed too many Twilight Inferium. Right. Like, we don't even open the box to show them. We just point to it on the bottom of the shelf, and they're like, nope, these people are weird. <laughs> Immediately, uh, uh, oh no, oh no, and they run away. Um, no, but it's, it's something a lot of people deal with, is we love games. Absolutely. Getting people that are not into board games, into board games. You know, trying to make a non-gamer a gamer is kind of a hard thing to do. It can be. And even if you only want to do it at the base level for introductory games, just so you can kind of spend that kind of time with that person or that group of people, it can be a very hard thing to accomplish. So we just kind of wanted to touch on what we've done or the way we think is best to approach it to try to get those friends to understand the love of games. And even if they don't go out and buy their own, or they don't, you know, develop this insane addiction to the hobby. As long as you can sit down at your house and say, hey, do you want to play a game? And then they're down for it. That's kind of our goal. We just want to show them that this is fun now. It's not Monopoly and Sorry and Battleship and Shoots and Ladders. I think the best way to go about that is to introduce them to the games that you first fell in love with. 
So we didn't fall in love with Twilight Imperium first. I mean, that was what, like the 30th game you purchased? What we fell in love with first is like things like Ticket to Ride, Cleopatra, Pandemic, yeah, like your sure. simple ones. But the thing is, too, you always have to think about how do we start into that? So that's what I'm talking about first before we get into the detail of actually the games that we would recommend for that. So you have to think about how would we introduce somebody? So it's like our friend Allison. She comes over. Hey, do you want to play a game? And then we sit down and play a game. So that's always one way to just kind of do it. We just say, hey, do you want to play a board game with us? We have one that we think you'll like. Sit down, bust it out, play the game, see how it goes. But there's always alternatives to that. I always feel like um, one alternative that we kind of miss on is parties. Anytime we go to a party, someone wants to play something. They want to play Cards Against Humanity. They want to play Apples to Apples. They want to play all these horrible games. Beer Pong. And Beer Pong. So what, what did we do with like some of our friends, Kara and Corey? We busted out Werewolf. We slowly started to manipulate them and yeah. show them the one true way. The one night ultimate werewolf. That's what we showed them. One night ultimate werewolf way. Yep. So we like, that's one thing with a game like that is that you can take somebody that likes a party game and say, hey, this game, you're lying. You lie to your partners or you have to tell the truth. You've got to solve this puzzle, but it's social. Anything that's a social deduction game or a hidden role mixed with social deduction, I've found goes over with people that do not consider themselves gamers. And I don't think they realize that it's a slow, it's a slow foot through the door. It's definitely a way to get started. And I feel like that's something that we could utilize more at some of our parties. Is like when we have a larger party, like our last Halloween party, bust out two rooms and a boom, which I have yet to play still, and play it with the group and see what they say. In my experience, it seems as though people are more willing to play a game that is a theme they know. And it really, it seems like people are less likely, especially the new players. I'm talking about new people. New people are less likely to want to jump into the fantasy or like quote unquote Dungeons and Dragons themed games. Those seem to turn off people really easily. But we show someone like Pandemic or Sagrada where it's a, a theme they understand, a theme they might actually already like, then they're more likely to grab onto it. Now I'm not saying that something like Blood Rage wouldn't be popular with someone who's a new game a new gamer. I mean it might be a little overwhelming. But the theme kind of has a connotation. The Dungeons and Dragons theme kind of has that nerdy, lame connotation. Not to say it's lame, not to say it's nerdy, but it has that connotation around it. I think that turns people off. I, I think that we've had better experiences showing people games that aren't those fantasy themes. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, um, we've gotten a lot of people into games, like you said, uh, with like Sagrada. Because that's so easy to understand. It's just a stained glass window. You roll some dice, you draft some dice, you're building a stained glass window. Nice and easy. Or Ticket to Ride. So we're kind of getting into some of the games now that we'll introduce people to. But something like Ticket to Ride, it's extremely simple. You either draw cards, excuse me, either draw cards, take some tickets, or play trains. That's it. And it's a train theme. Everybody understands building trains across America. It's a nice, easy thing. You know, it doesn't, it, it isn't anything crazy they have to think, overthink about, or it's not anything with a nerdy connotation or anything like that. It's just a simple, you know, train game. It sounds so cute, yet you can screw people over so easily. Yes, you can, definitely. But those kind of things with the themes are definitely, I mean, that's a huge point. With something like Pandemic, one of our friends really loves things about diseases and epidemics and stuff like that, because she's in med school. Nursing school. Nursing school, sorry. She wants to be an epidemiologist. Yeah, and so that's the perfect kind of a theme for her, is we showed her that game, and she was like, this is awesome. So we obviously showed it to her on Amazon. But those kind of things, those games that don't either don't have a theme, you know, more of the... um abstract games or games that just have a theme that's easy to grasp onto it's kind of like oh like playing patchwork you're building a quilt nice simple two-player game we're just gonna make a quilt we're gonna get some buttons we're gonna use those buttons to sew more pieces on our quilt 
it's super simple and people can grasp onto that without having to worry about a gnome popping out and lighting a fire and a dragon flying over top. What does it say about me that my the two games that you bought to please me or to coerce me into becoming a board gamer were Twilight Struggle, where I play a communist, and Patchwork, where I'm making a quilt? What does that say about me? Russian Betsy... what? the uh, Betsy Ross? Is that her name? A babushka! Yes. But yeah, so showing people games based off the theme is definitely a large... Oh, we recommend it. It's a large recommendation from us. It's something just that it really helps get people attracted to it. Because like Haley said, if you pull out, you know, like Forbidden Stars, which is in the Warhammer 40k universe, that's not even hardly appealing to me because I'm not a Warhammer player. And so just pulling that out for somebody, even though, yes, it's a heavier game, a lot of people are turned off by it. It's sort of the same thing with like Ghost Stories. Ghost Stories is easy to grab onto. It's a good game. Once you learn what all the tiles do in town, it's really not that hard to play. It's hard to beat and be good at. But it's easy to get onto the ghost theme. However, some people have an aversion to the sort of feudal Japan or the Japanese styling. I know that's like our game Edo, you know, feudal Japan and Legend of Legend of the Five Rings reboot. And Akuza. Yeah. Which we can't sell. Nope. It's all feudal Japan and some people don't like that. And so you just kind of have to find what your friends like and try to show them that. You ever think about how random some of the board game themes are? Well, they sort of have to be because everything's been done a thousand times. I mean, that's like with uh, morels. You're finding mushroom in the f- mushrooms in the forest. Because nobody's done that yet. I mean, not that it's a bad thing. It's just, who who would think of that? I mean, I know duh, the designer would think of that. <laughs> but it's so adorable and awesome. I think there's so much to grab your attention with the themes. Like with all the different themes. There's so much that could spark your interest and catch your eye. No, there really is. Um, but I mean, that's why they make so such diverse themes. Because you have to have something to grab somebody's eye. And the larger the box and the brighter the theme the more likely you are to get the attention, which will get somebody purchasing your game. And then you have Agricola, which is like your second cousin of the board games. It's so plain. It's so good. It is so good. I am undefeated in that game. She is. We've only played it three or four times? Yes, but I am undefeated. But she has not been defeated, uh, which is sad for me. And we played with Brian. We played with your brother and sister-in-law. I played with you a couple of times. Yep. We played it with someone else. Uh, I'm not sure. Did we play with Allison? I don't believe so. Okay. But yeah, so we always recommend... That's one big thing is recommend on the simpler side of games just to kind of get them introduced. I mean, unless there's somebody that can really take a puzzle and break it apart, then you can start with a heavier game. But the simpler games are always better to start with. And then, of course, a theme that they're attracted to. So for some of our recommendations, just to kind of close out the show a little bit, I guess the question of the show would be what are games you recommend to introduce people to the um, to the hobby? So for my recommendations, I'm going to say Ticket to Ride is a very big one. It's very simple. You can find it in Target. It's easy to play. Um, I would recommend Ticket to Ride Europe if you could get it instead of the base one. It's just a little bit better. Plus, it has all the maps that you can add to it. So that's a really good one. I'm also going to recommend Sagrada because it's puzzly. Okay, never mind. That was mine. Well, anyway, we both recommend... I told him beforehand. We both recommend Sagrada because it's very good, it's easy to play, it's pretty, it doesn't take very long. And so far, nobody's disliked it. Everybody's enjoyed it, they've had fun with it, they go, oh, at the end of it, they kind of understand more, and they want to play it again. And it's just a really good game. Any of them that stand out that you recommend? Sorry if our voices are wavering, we're looking at the shelves as we talk. I think Pandemic is always a strong one to introduce people to. It is a game that you can kind of take the responsibility from other players if you need to. It can have that quarterbacking. I mean, not that that's necessarily a bad thing whenever you're first introducing someone to a game. Like, if that was the first cool board game you were showing someone was Pandemic, I mean, you can let them play their own role easily, or you can 
kind of give them hints and it's okay. It's not like you're cheating because you're all working together. So I think if you play your cards right, but I'm tis. The quarterbacking in Pandemic would be a good way to introduce somebody to a board game. That's true, because you can help them along and say, well, this is the right decision, and here's why. But the problem is, is that can develop into a bad situation of quarterbacking if you let it. Just don't do it past, like, the third turn. Don't be that guy. Yeah, unless you obviously see an error and go, hold on, think about that. Or if you don't make it past the third turn, like we did with Zach and Sarah that (laughs) night. So we played a game of Pandemic. Um, small tangent, where turn one, Haley played some cards. Turn two, epidemic, game over. It literally, two turns. Her turn, my turn, done. So we obviously had to reset and play again. But yeah, Pandemic's a very good one. It's a great cooperative to uh, initiate people into. Sagrada's a good one. Ticket to Ride's a good one. Honestly, I think Flamme Rouge is just very good. Every time we've played it, I've really liked it. It's super simple. The biking game from Stronghold. And I mean, you just have some cards. You draw four, you pick one. The rest go on that bottom of that deck of cards and you move your bikes. There's very few few rules to remember, but it's just a very good little game. I think another good one is definitely Thebes. Thebes? I think it's Thebes, isn't it? <laughs> I've never heard it pronounced Thebes, but I also don't speak Greek, and so I've always said Thebes. So Thebes and or Thebes. I think that is a good one to get people introduced to games. Yes, it's a game about archaeology. It's very simple, very fun, and we've played that with a lot of new people, and they've always really liked it. It's just, uh, it's an easy game. It's queen games. Um, their Amazon sales, I think I bought it for, what, $12? And we've played it four or five times, and it's just, it's a really good game for just kind of an intro level. I feel like Queen games are overlooked quite a bit. I mean, they have some solid games, and they're all not easy, but they're simple to learn. They're always simple. So another one that is a good introductory is Kingdom Builder. I'm not the biggest fan of Kingdom Builder, although I have some friends that like it, which is why I keep it around. But it was also a cheaper one. And then Fresco, also by Queen Games, is like the next step up in a sort of Kind of a programming worker placement game, but, uh, you know, a little bit of resource management kind of stuff involved. But it's a very good game. And yeah, I mean, Queen, I don't think they're necessarily overlooked, but they always have cheap prices and their games are always simple to learn and understand. So I think they just kind of get this reputation of the introductory company, which, you know, kind of makes sense. Except they do have that new Merlin game by Stefan Feld, which I really want to play. What is it like? I haven't seen too much of it. I just know it's A, Merlin, which is a theme I'm okay with. Anything, you know, King Arthur, Knights of the Round Table. And then it's Stefan Feld, which Castles of Burgundy is just phenomenal. Um, sadly, I've only played that and uh, Aquasphere that we got rid of. I haven't got to play Trajan or like any of his other games. And so I'm really sad about that. Hopefully that changes sometime soon. But I do want to play Merlin. It looks really good. By the way, the cat's meowing like crazy. So go ahead and take two drinks. He also popped a bottle cap under the door. Our cats play with bottle caps, and Steve does play fetch with his. If you throw it, he'll go get it and bring it back to your feet. It's really strange for a cat to do, but, you know, we love him. If you try and throw your bottle cap in the trash can, he will jump in the trash can to retrieve it. He knows the sound of bottles being opened. Whenever we have parties, it's like one of those trashy restaurants where you just throw your peanut shells on the floor, except you throw your bottle caps on the floor. Or else Steve will jump into the trash can, retrieve them for you, and be very sticky. Yeah, he'll try to for sure. But yeah, so in terms of introducing new people, uh, like we said, start with a simpler game. Start with a theme they like. Um, We gave some recommendations in there. Obviously, there's some more. I think One Night Ultimate Werewolf with the app is very good. Without the app, I think it would be a little much for somebody. But with the app, I think it's phenomenal. Along with like, you know, Love Letter is a very good introductory. I think Coup is good for Hidden Roll. And then like we said, Ticket to Ride and some of those. Um, There's a lot of games. Just kind of, you know, go out there. Find some that you think somebody would like or you think you would like and just give it a shot and try to get your friends to play along. 
So a lot of times if you are a good friend to somebody and you are really passionate about a game, you will be able to get them to sit down and play it with you. I mean, more than just being nice. At least just once. At least just once. And if you have enough passion and you explain the rules well and they actually have fun, you might convert them to just about any game. Yeah, no, that's very true. I wouldn't try Twilight Imperium right off the bat, but you never know. You know your friendship better than I do. Yeah, (laughs) that's very true. Hopefully this episode was entertaining for you guys. We just kind of decided to get a jump start on recording this uh, this episode because we've been a little behind. Like I said, it's November when the last one was in August, so it's been a bit. But we wanted to get this done, so hopefully you got some entertainment and learned about a couple games, even if, you know, I'm not the best rules describer on the fly like we do this. And hopefully you have a way now to introduce some friends to games or have a couple ideas of games uh, or anything like that. Drink to the cat. Yeah, and again, Steve with the meowing. I guess we'll uh, we'll toast to this one and the end of episode two. So if you guys liked this episode and hopefully our last episode and would like to hear more, uh, please continue to check us out. We are Malthouse Games. This is the Malthouse Games podcast. That is M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S. So house is in the German spelling. Uh, we are on Twitter at Malthouse Games, Facebook at the same tag, and we do have an email, which is contact at malthousegames.com. Uh, feel free to hit us up. Uh, my Twitter tag is at Delton Brack, so I'm not really fancy at all. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Just if you have any questions or anything, hit us up. Haley is at Squirrely Geek on S- Twitter. S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-E-K. So just uh, send us a message, hit us up, follow us, you know, let us know what we're doing right, doing wrong. Any of that stuff would be awesome. So I guess until next time, just sit back, relax, have a drink, and play some games. See you soon. Bye, everyone.